what we're going to be doing through April is walking through this story. So on Sundays, we have specific texts that we'll cover, but we can't cover them all. So we invite you Monday through Saturday to fill in the gaps. If you pull out your bulletin, you will notice that we have daily scripture readings there listed for you. These are going to be listed every week. So we encourage you to keep this bulletin and read these verses every day. It's just about 10 to 20 verses. It's not too much. You could do it in just a couple minutes, but we encourage you give just 10 minutes. More if you can, but at least just 10 minutes. Soak in these words Pray for God to speak to you so God can reveal himself to you and where you fit in this story. So that's our challenge this whole year, just 10 minutes. Um, Read these stories along with us. Okay, well, speaking of the big biblical story, if you recall last week, Pastor Brandon gave a beautiful overview of the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, pretty impressive in just one morning. Well, today we're going to move from that big cosmic picture down to the minute details. We're going to go to the very beginning of God's cosmic redemption plan, which begins in the lives of one couple. One specific couple and one specific place, Abraham and Sarah. You ever heard of them? Yeah, pretty famous, huh? So before we read the story of this one couple... Let me first preface it by saying that it's hard to emphasize too much the importance of this text for all of Scripture. The call of Abraham and Sarah, it reverberates throughout the entire Bible, and it's important not just for how it informs the whole biblical story, but also the story of our lives. For the call of Abraham and Sarah, which we will read, It shows that God's grand cosmic redemption work is also very particular. God does his big, extraordinary work through ordinary people in ordinary places like you and me here and now. So with that in mind, hear now God's word from Genesis 12 verses 1 through 9. As always, before we read, let us pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, help us to know your ways. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation. It is for you we wait all day long. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot 
and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negeb. We'll go this far in the words, Lord, in the Lord's word today. Thanks be to God. The call of Abram and Sarai, whom God later renamed Abraham and Sarah, if you got a little confused, it's the same people. Abraham and Sarah, it's the beginning of God's covenant with his people. If you notice, our sermon series is titled The God of the Covenant, Promises and Partnership. So we're going to be talking a lot about covenant because covenant is huge in the biblical story and in our stories with God. So the term covenant, it is God's choosing to be in relationship with us. God promises and forever weds himself to us. We, in turn, accept that promise from God, and we promise back to God to be his partners in life. Promises and partnership. This is covenant. Promises and partnership. So if that was, this sounds a little bit like marriage vocabulary. Anyone getting bells of their, uh, their wedding? It, it really should. Covenant is the, the primary word we use for Christian marriage. It's not a contract. Not, I'll stay in this as long as I'm getting what I want, but when I get disappointed, it's, it's done. No, it's a, it's a, it's a covenant, a, a covenant that's made by God to us. Through thick and thin, God promises to be with us. Even when we rebel, even when we go our own way, even when we disappoint God, God says, I'm in it for the lifetime. A promise of forever. This is the covenant God makes with humanity. And that's the promise that God makes here to Abraham and Sarah, a promise to be their God forever through thick and through thin. That is the promise that God has extended to us, the church, through Jesus Christ. The promise to be your God, our God, forever. And this divine call to Abraham and Sarah and God's call to us, it radically redefines everything about us. For those who are married, think about the day that you stood up in front of people and said, I do. The day you made your covenant. It changed you a little bit, didn't it? Those who have been in it for 20, 30, 40, 50 years can tell you perhaps they didn't know how much it was going to change them at the time, right? But it, it changes you. Covenant changes you. Well, take that experience of human covenant and then multiply it by like a million. And that's what you get in a covenant with a holy, eternal God. It deeply changes you forever. 
Perhaps you don't notice it all at once, but it happens. And when you really pay attention, you see that in relationship with God, God defines absolutely everything about us. Being in covenant with God answers the most fundamental question of every human being. Who am I? Have you ever wondered that? Who who am I? Perhaps you haven't said it out loud. Perhaps you haven't even thought in those specific words in some philosophical manner. But deep down, every single human being is spending their lives trying to answer this question. Trying to either define it for themselves or figure it out somewhere. They're trying to figure out, who am I? Well, in covenant with God, we find the ultimate answer to this question once and for all. If you don't hear anything else this morning, anything else, hear this. This is the most important. For those who are in covenant with God through Jesus Christ, God says, you are my beloved. Friends, that is your identity. Everything else is just detail. Nothing is more important than that. Nothing can ever change that. That is who you are. You are God's beloved. Do you believe it? Yeah. Amen. When we understand our identity, that fundamental question, there are three other prime human questions that also get answered for us. Three questions every person spends their lives also trying to figure out. Where do I belong? Where do I find my security? What is my purpose? Pretty big questions, huh? Have you ever wondered any of these? Any of these? I'm guessing you have. Well, in the call to Abraham and Sarah, which reveals how God also calls us, we see that God answers all of these questions for us. And not in just some temporary way, but an enduring most satisfying way you could ever imagine. So that's what we're going to look at for the rest of our time this morning, how God's covenant with us defines our belonging, our security, and our purpose. Okay, so are you ready? Last week we did the whole biblical story in one sermon. This sermon we're going to try to answer three of the most pressing questions of humanity in one sermon. You ready? Good. All right, so our first question, our first question that is so pressing to humankind, where do I belong? Think back on your years of trying to find belonging. On the school playground, who's going to pick me? In the school lunchroom, where am I going to belong? Where am I going to sit? In the workplace, where do I belong? In our communities, in our own families, In our churches, what group do I fit in with? Everywhere we go, everyone is looking for a place to belong. To know that we are loved and accepted is one of the deepest needs known to humankind. And that deep need is what God fulfills in covenant with us. Because God says, my child, you belong to me. You belong to me. 
It doesn't matter where you are physically. It doesn't matter who you're with. First and foremost, you belong to me. You belong to the God of all time and space and place that transcends all of this that we see. You belong to me. It's this assurance of belonging to God through Jesus that has given Christians huge comfort throughout the centuries. That's why Heidelberg Catechism Q&A 1 is so famous, quoted so often, especially in times of hardship and on deathbeds. This is one that people will bring to mind. So would you say this with me? I'll, ans- I'll ask the question, you do the answer. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I belong. I belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, whatever happens, joys, sorrows, you're accepted by people, you're rejected by people, life, death, whatever happens, you belong to God through Christ. You belong to God. Nothing can take that away. That is your primary belonging. You belong to the eternal God. That's what we learn in our covenant with God. This is the first lesson that Abraham and Sarah learn through the covenant. Where they belong is where they are with God. And that means that where they belong is wherever God calls them. And for Abraham and Sarah... Where God calls them is actually away from where they first thought they belonged. So now before we move on to the second two questions, I need to share with you some really important Old Testament information. It's a good tidbit of information to know, to understand their call and our call from God. It's really important to understand this because it helps us understand these three questions of belonging, security, and purpose. So this Old Testament tidbit is that we need to understand that in the ancient world where Abraham and Sarah lived, from a worldly perspective, this call that they get in Genesis 12, it would have been the absolute worst thing that anyone would have ever wanted to happen to them. A lot of us hear this story, right? And we think, wow, they are so lucky. Look, they got chosen. They are so lucky. And the thing is, we have the grand big picture, right? We see the big picture, and we do understand it from the grand perspective, the kingdom of God eternal perspective. They are indeed the most fortunate couple because there's absolutely nothing more satisfying or more fulfilling than being in relationship with God. So they are so fortunate. But from a worldly perspective, this call from God for them would have sounded like a death sentence. I'm not kidding you. It would have sounded much like Jesus' call to his disciples, pick up your cross, this form of execution, 
pick up your cross and follow me. And here's why. Here's the historical piece. In the world of the Old Testament, the society was entirely kinship-based, way more to a much higher degree than it ever is in anywhere in the world today. Entirely kinship-based, family-based. This meant that you lived and moved and had your being in your kinship group. Your purpose in life was the survival of your kinship group. That's why it was so pressing for people to have children. Your survival was all about your kinship group. In Israel, it had four levels. The highest level was your people, Israel, then your tribe, and then your clan, and then the most intimate layer was your father's household. So everyone, pretty much everyone, lived in a three-generation house. Grandparents, parents, children. Anyone still do that today? No. (laughs) Grandparents, parents, children. You always lived together. You just kept the house and the family and just kept it going. Your land was not what you purchased or acquired on your own. It was your family's land. It gets handed down. That's just how it was. Everything you are, everything you own, all your identity and security in life all revolves around your kinship group. That's just how life was. So listen to this call from God. Go from your land, your your family's land, and your kindred, your kinship group, your father and your mother's house, the only place you've ever known and ever thought you would ever know. From the top to the bottom, it was asking Abraham and Sarah to leave absolutely everything. This call was especially risky for this couple of Abraham and Sarah because at this point they have no children. Abraham is 75, Sarah is 65. This means that as they get older, there's going to be no one to take care of them. It wasn't like today where you could go to a nursing home or even a hospital or a homeless shelter Those communal services didn't exist. In that world, your survival was based on your kinship group. That's why you don't move. You stay close by, in your family's land, next to this family that's going to take care of you. At age 75, no children, God says, go. Leave all of that behind. Everything that you're relying on for belonging and security and purpose, leave it. Come, follow me. It would be kind of like God saying today, sell absolutely everything you have. Leave everything you know, everything you're doing. Come, follow me. Someone did say that, didn't they, not too long ago? Jesus. Sounds a little bit like his call to some of his disciples, doesn't it? So this call to Abraham, it is much like Jesus' call to his disciples. Pick up your cross and follow me. From the worldly perspective of worldly comforts and securities, this call then and in Jesus' day and now, it sounds terrifying. It sounds awful. 
And yet from the kingdom of God, eternal perspective, there is nothing more fulfilling, nothing more satisfying, nothing more meaningful than to be in intimate relationship with God, to follow God wherever God leads you. For it is in relationship with God that God grants us security and purpose far beyond what the temporary things of this world could offer us. For our security... It comes not from the things or circumstances or even people around us because we all know those things change and they come and they go. Just talk to any person who has lost a spouse or a child or a job or their life savings. They will tell you, don't put all of your security in what is seen. You can love those things, appreciate those things, but don't place all your security there. Because what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. What is unseen and eternal is the unchanging God. And God is always with us, whatever happens. The joys, the sorrows, in life and in death itself, God is promised to be with us and then we with him for eternity. Friends, that is where our security lies. That is our absolutely only comfort in life and in death. Even after this initial call to Abraham and Sarah, after their obedience, they have to keep learning this lesson over and over and over again. Because you see, they would have been tempted to trust in the gifts the things that God was giving them, even their own, their own son, Isaac. It was really important, remember, back then to have children. So after 25 years of waiting, they finally get this son, right? And it would have been tempting for them to kick back into their mindset of, all right, now we've got him. Now we're okay. So then this funny thing happens later that God asks them to sacrifice their son, And of course, God doesn't have them go through with it. Isaac lives. But the message God is trying to give them, don't revert back to that. Remember, your security is not in the gifts, not even your own son. Your security is in me. Don't look to the gifts. Look to the giver. Find your security in me. For these gifts that God promised Abraham and Sarah, descendants and land, they were not merely for Abraham and his family for their own well-being. They were for a bigger purpose. They were for the purpose of blessing the whole world. And the same is true with you and me. Everything we have, everything we are is a gift from God. And when we are called into relationship with God, we realize that these gifts have been given to us for a purpose. It is a purpose that far exceeds us in our short time on this earth. It is a purpose that is eternal. It's a kingdom of God purpose. Which brings us to our last question, which is, what is, what is my purpose? If you've ever wondered this, you know, changing your college major or switching jobs or entering retirement and then wondering, what do I do? Friends, those are details. Those are details. God gives you freedom. But your purpose, your big purpose, whatever details you choose, your big purpose is simple. It's to bless others. 
It is to be filled with the love of God and then to share that love of God with those around you. To love God and love neighbor. That's it. That is your purpose in life. Everything else is just detail. God called Abraham and Sarah to know God so that the world might know God. Jesus called his disciples to know him so that they might then go and invite others to know him. This is what that phrase means, blessed to be a blessing. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to have a lot of money or possessions or status or even health or family. Jesus is the most blessed person who ever lived. Would we agree? Most blessed person who ever lived. He was poor. No wife, no children, lived a tragically short life. But he was blessed because he had this deep, intimate relationship with the Father and he shared that life with others. Know God, making God known. That is blessed to be a blessing. There's this famous quote by C.S. Lewis that I'm going to paraphrase that he says that many of us like to view God like a distant grandfather. Any of you have these grandfathers um, who will visit occasionally? Well, some of your grandfathers are closer. Mine lived far, far away, and that's kind of what they're talking about. A distant grandfather who visits occasionally might sometimes send you a check or a present in the mail to, to remind you that they, they love you. They'll send you some good things. And overall, the grandfather just wants you to have fun and be happy. And that's, that's the grandfather's role. Just, just let him have fun. But that's the, not the image of God we get in Scripture. The image that Jesus reveals to us is of an active, involved father. A father who doesn't just visit occasionally, but a, a father who is with us always. A father who is intimately involved in our lives, not always giving us everything we think we want, but a father who is teaching us and caring for us and comforting us and correcting us and disciplining us also that we grow into his likeness. Not just so that we can have a little fun at the end of the day, but so that we can lead lives of meaning and purpose and significance. That is who we have in God. Not some distant person, but an active, involved father who loves us deeply, who stays with us, who wants us to live lives that matter. This is our Heavenly Father. And here's the really good news about the purpose that he gives us. The purpose of our Heavenly Father, it far exceeds what we see in our short lifetimes. Because it's not our work, it's God's eternal work. If you read the rest of Genesis, you see that Abraham's life is a witness to this. He receives these elaborate promises from God, right? But when he dies, you know what Abraham owns? The only land he owns is a little plot of land that he purchased for Sarah's burial ground. It's all the land he owns. At that point, his name is not so great. He's not really well known. He only had two sons, just one son of the promise. Not these many, many descendants that were talked about in the promise. But Abraham believes the promise, and so he's faithful 
He is faithful, and he believes that God will fulfill them, and he does. But it takes generations and generations and generations. So he trusts and believes that it's going to happen, and so he is faithful to God, and it does. Israel is formed, this big, beautiful nation that is a light to the other nations. Within Israel is born the Messiah, Jesus, if you've heard of him, kind of a big deal, changes the course of history and the cosmos forever. That was birthed out of Israel. And by the power of Christ's Holy Spirit is born the church, you and me, we continue to participate in this work. So friends, keep in mind, you may not always see the ways that God's faithfulness and your faithfulness back, you may not always see the way that it's blessing others. Just as Abraham might have wondered on his dying day, am I really blessing other people? I mean, look at this. He has one son of the promise, a burial ground, and all these promises he hasn't seen fulfilled. Maybe you've wondered that. Maybe you've spent decades pouring into your children or grandchildren. They don't want anything to do with the church. Maybe you work tirelessly in your job or volunteering to care for the vulnerable in the world, as God calls us to do. And you never hear back from any of them. You never know if it's making a difference. And the truth is, you may not ever know in this lifetime. It may just be that you might not know until that day when your body's here in a casket and the people come flooding into the church to share story after story after story about the ways that God blessed them through your life, about the ways that you were so clearly blessed to be a blessing. Brothers and sisters, never lose sight of your purpose in life, even if you aren't seeing the fruits right away. Your life with God has eternal significance and purpose. Trust in God. God is always faithful to his promises.